please join me in opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, we need your help and your grace that we would understand your word well and respond properly to what you teach us here and respond properly to your spirit who enables what you call for. Minister your grace in us and through us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple of weeks ago, hundreds of young men fulfilled their lifelong dream of being drafted by an NFL team. They have undoubtedly worked very hard on their body and their skills, and now they are NFL players. Under normal circumstances, they would enter into the team's off-season weight and conditioning program. They would look forward to mini camps. OTAs, which are organized team activities, and a grueling training camp, usually in the month of August. These are hard days that many NFL veterans would rather skip, which is why there are incentives in their contracts to uh, be a part of those items that are not mandatory. But for a rookie, it's a little bit different. They have the same hardship on them during these months. However, because they're looking forward to establishing their value on the team and trying to earn playing time, uh, the, the course of going through those grueling seasons for them is uh, uh, something that would, would be looked forward to because they're looking forward to when the real games begin and when they can earn that playing time. Because the payoff is so significant, the pain, the sweat, the learning, and the berating will seem worth it. They're in the NFL. They're making ridiculous amounts of money and fulfilling their dreams. Now for those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we've come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, The payoff is infinitely greater. Infinitely greater. We have been given a glimpse of the glory, the peace, and the joy that awaits us. God has given us a down payment of the experience of glory when He placed His Spirit into us. There is no way for you and I to adequately describe to someone who has not experienced the joy, peace, love, comfort, and patience of the Spirit how correct this feels. I labored for a long time trying to figure out what the right word is for this. But the word correct is the right word. There is no way that you and I could adequately describe to someone who has not experienced the joy, peace, comfort, love, and glory of the Spirit, how correct that feels. This is what we were made for. We were made to experience the glory and joy of God, the peace of God forever. And He's given us a down payment of that eternal experience that is ours. This work of God that we have experienced points us ahead to a full experience of this glory 
and joy that will be unending and unhindered by our own sinful passions. This unshakable confidence we call hope. This unshakable confidence we call hope. Hope is a confident assurance of what lies in our future. There is a worldly hope. I hope that it will not rain tomorrow so I can go on a hike. I hope that my wife will make something with sausage in it. I hope that uh, we can meet together in the same place at the same time in the near future. This is not the general meaning of the, uh, most of the Bible's uses of the word hope. Rather, it is a confident expectation of a glorious future. Hope in the Scriptures is a confident expectation of a glorious outcome. This concept of hope dominates the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 as well as the last verses of Romans chapter 8. He wants us to have hope. What we want to understand this morning is four areas of unshakable confidence for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let's list those four. What we'll see in verse 1 is that we have an unshakable confidence in our standing of peace. We'll see that in verse 1. In verse 2, we will see our unshakable confidence in our standing of grace. In the end of verse 2, we'll notice this. We have an unshakable confidence in our future experience of glory. And then in verses 3-11, through which we'll spend most of that on next week, we will notice that we have an unshakable confidence in our present suffering. An unshakable confidence in our present suffering. So those are the four areas. We're going to only touch briefly on that fourth one this morning. Next week we'll further uh, outline that. But what we want to talk about this morning is this unshakable confidence that God's Word gives us. And the reason that we have confidence in God's Word is because it's authored by God. The character of God is where our confidence lies. Because God's character is at stake regarding what He has written, we have unshakable confidence in the Word of God. The confidence is first and foremost in God, but it's rooted in God, and so it transfers to those things that God has conveyed, such as His Word. And so we have unshakable confidence in God. Now our confidence now is in our standing of peace. Look at verse 1, please. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. Paul makes a clear transition. He concludes the last discussion and he says, therefore, I've been talking for for a while. I've been writing for a while, four chapters worth. I've been writing to you about the fact that we're sinners, that sin warrants judgment, that God has provided a solution to that 
that judgment in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when a person has faith in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation, their sin is forgiven, righteousness is added, you have been justified. And so he just in one verse just says, therefore, having been justified by faith, he uses the perfect tense, which is something that took place in the past that has an enduring result. You have been in the past justified by faith, and that means you are still justified by faith, To this day, it is an enduring reality. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, he uses that perfect tense, letting us know that it's a continuing uh, action, a continuing result. Because of this past action, we have a present condition or a standing before God, and that is this. We have peace with God. The believer in Jesus Christ has peace with God. Paul has made it clear previously that God's wrath is demonstrated against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. He has made it clear that we all fall under this category of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he reiterates it in verse 6 of this chapter. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? For whom? The ungodly. That's me. And that's you. You and I are the ungodly. We are the unrighteous. And God, through His glorious grace and mercy, in accordance with His perfect plan, sent His Son Jesus to die for the ungodly. We are all underneath this category of ungodliness and unrighteousness for which God has poured out His wrath, demonstrates His wrath. Paul has equally made it clear, or made it equally clear, that God has provided a solution to being under His righteous judgment. The solution is to be justified that's declared righteous, by faith or through faith in Jesus Christ. So, rather than being under God's righteous judgment, the believer has a standing of peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have, that's a statement of fact, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So rather than being under that righteous judgment, the believer has a standing of peace. He reiterates this in verses 9 and 11. Look down there, please. Romans 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a term that most of you are probably familiar with, but let's talk about it just for a moment. Reconciliation is the bringing of two parties that were previously at enmity, previously separated, previously was a problem between them, taking two parties that were previously at enmity into a relationship of peace. Justification is a legal term. It's about records. The record of the sinner has been changed. 
The, the sin has been removed, erased, and a different record has been added, a record of righteousness. Not my righteousness, not the righteousness of the church or some saint somewhere. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is attributed to our account. It's a changing of the records. So rather than a sinner, I'm a saint. Changing of the record. It's a legal term. Reconciliation is a relational term. At one point, I was an enemy of God. I demonstrated my enmity toward Him. No, I will not do what you want. No, I will not worship who you want. No, I will not give what you require. I will do my own thing my own way. And this caused a problem between men and God. And God in His mercy and kindness and grace sent His Son Jesus to do all those things I refused to do. He did it in my place. So that God not only could change the records, He could pull away from me this enmity, shake the enmity away, and bring me into a, a, a harmonious relationship with Him. Justification results in a standing of peace with God. Now listen to these words of Leon Morris. They are wonderful words. The justified person is no longer tormented by questions of his relationship with God arising from the fact that he is a sinner. Sinner though he is. He is at peace with God because of what God has done for him. Consider that for a moment. Paul concludes verse 1 with a simple expression. He says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is just a brief expression that encapsulates the gospel, the good news, the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through His life, death, burial, and resurrection. God didn't just benevolently forgive, benevolently change the records, benevolently give me this standing of peace. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that His justice would be satisfied. Jesus' life of obedience. Jesus' sacrificial death bearing our the wrath of God that we deserved. His burial and His resurrection triumphant over death, triumphant over sin, triumphant over Satan has made us free. God has justified us and made us at peace. We have a standing of peace. It is through the work of Jesus Christ that through faith in Him we have confidence no matter what the circumstances are like, no matter what the feels are, we are standing in God's blessing. Which moves us to our second category. We have an unshakable confidence in our standing of grace. An unshakable confidence in our standing of grace. Look at verse 2. Through Him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've obtained access. He's recapping what He's already taught us in chapter 4, that justification is by faith in Jesus Christ and in the promises of God. He says, through this faith, we are, have a standing of grace. He's not talking about theory or about potential. He is talking about actuality. We, the believer in Jesus Christ, stand now in grace. That grace is the substance of God's fulfilling His promises. We learned that in chapter 4. The promises of God are the blessing of God, is the grace of God. We stand firmly upon this grace. All of the forces of darkness could rise up against us. All of the turmoil of the world could surround us. Those closest to us could forsake us. Everything could fall into complete shambles. None of this indicates that God's favor and blessing has ceased. Those who belong to God, those who are God's children, those who have been declared righteous, we reside now in God's blessing. This is unwavering and this is unquestionable. We may not feel God's blessing. We may not see God's blessing. But if you are the redeemed of the Lord, you have been accepted in the Beloved. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, your sins have been forgiven. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, you have been declared righteous. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, God will fulfill His promises to you. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, you will reside in heaven. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, you will inherit all things. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, there is absolutely nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is The truth. Are you one of those who have gained access into this grace? How would you gain access? It is through faith in Jesus Christ who finished the work. Faith in Christ. Believer, you can have full assurance, full confidence that you are standing in God's grace, you are standing in God's blessing. Standing in God's blessing or God's grace guarantees our future experience of God's glory. But it does not preclude us from experiencing suffering. Standing in God's grace or blessing guarantees our future experience of God's glory, but does not preclude us from experiencing suffering. Now we're on to our third point here, and this is we should have 
unshakable confidence in our future experience of glory. This is, this is really quite spectacular. Look at the end of verse 2. End of verse 2. It says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul is using a word for the first of three times in this paragraph. It's the word rejoice in my version. The word is translated boast elsewhere. In fact, I want for you to just have a, a, this is just a very brief word study of this word that I have translated rejoice in my Bible. Maybe yours is something different. It's the word um, boast or rejoice. The New American Standard Bible uses the word exult, exult. This word is used 37 times in the New Testament. And of those seven, excuse me, 37 times it's used, 30 times it's translated boast. Seven times it's not translated boast. Listen to some of the the variety. Here in our translation, it's exalt three times. It's used exalt three times. In in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12, it's take pride. In Philippians 3 and in James 1.9, it's glory, glory. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4, it's speak proudly. You can hear the, the similar ways that's being translated. It really is a, a boast, a good sense of the term that I have translated in my Bible as rejoice is boast. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, same word is used. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. So if we were to read this verse with boast injected, where my Bible says rejoice, I think we'll get a better sense. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Those who are born again boast... In the glory of God, we have an unshakable confidence that we will share in God's glory. Let's talk about that just for a couple of moments. Think about this with me, please. I want to share with you a passage. They'll both be uh, recorded on the screen. It's like maybe down there. Am I pointing in the right direction? Right there? You're going to see this right there in just a second. In, uh, I don't know, maybe right there. Somewhere in there. Isaiah chapter 42, this, this passage resonates in my mind regularly. God makes this statement. In Isaiah 42, starting in verse 5, God's word says this, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes uh, that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. Listen carefully. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory. I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carved idols. Okay, wait a second. Pastor Rob, you just told me that God is going to share His glory. And Isaiah, God says He's not going to share His glory. Well, which is it? Well, 
Let's try to understand when God says something in Isaiah 42, he's talking about someone trying to take his glory from him and exalt themselves and glorify themselves. In Romans, when we're talking about boasting in the glory of God, we're boasting in God and his glory that we have a share in. There is a great difference. So I want for us to think about this. While we fall short, you and I fall short of the glory of God of our own accord, God, through His work of redemption, does something we could never predict. God shares His glory with us. Take a look, please, with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 17. We're going to just hug on to the end of Paul's description of of how we've been adopted and God puts His Spirit within us and through that Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. It's beautiful. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be, what? Glorified with Him. Verse 18. For I consider the suffering Sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed where? To us. Okay, this may be still out there somewhere. Look down at verse 21. He says, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay. How about verses 28 through 30? And we know that For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn, He might, He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. We fall short. And yet, because of God's glorious redemptive work through Jesus Christ, He shares with us not our glory, but His. His glory. Listen to these passages. In John chapter 17 and verse 22, Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has an ear, let him hear. And Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one that enters within the veil. Well, what's the veil? It's on the other side. Access into the very presence of God. Jesus, our anchor, has already gone through, and where that anchor is, is where we belong in the place of God's glory. We will be like Him, the Bible says, for we will see Him as He is. I want to ask you a question. Do you have this confidence? Do you have this boast? Will you share in the glory of God for all eternity if you have turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ as your Savior? You have the hope of glory.
It should be your boast. Your boast is not in you. It is a boast in the Lord. Boasting in the Lord. Does hope only give us confidence in the future? Does hope only give us confidence about the future? No. No, it also gives us confidence about the present. I know where I am going. I know what I will experience. I know it is unquestioned, unshakable. There's no question about what the end looks like regarding whether I will experience the glory of God. We have confident expectation even in the midst of hardship. Back in Romans chapter 5, please. Confident expectation even in our present suffering. Look at verse 3. Romans 5 and verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we're just going to put some bullet points together here, and this will be developed more closely next week. Notice this. We boast in our suffering because of what God is producing, verses 3 and 4. We boast in our suffering because of what God is producing, verses 3 and 4. Secondly, we boast in our suffering because of our hope, verses 4 and 5. Our hope. We know what's going to happen. We thirdly boast in our sufferings because we have tasted the goodness of God's love for us. We have tasted the goodness of God's love for us. You can face anything, but you know that God loves you. How do you know? First of all, He's given you His Spirit who dwells in you, and the Spirit shed God's love abroad in your heart. Okay, that's, that's one reason. Secondly, while you were a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly and for the one who was at enmity with Him. Christ died for sinners. So God's glorious love has been demonstrated. We've tasted the goodness of God's love for us. Fourthly, the reason we boast in our suffering is because we have been justified and saved from future judgment. Therefore, we have confidence that God will preserve us through the turmoil of this life. We see that in verses 9 and 10. And finally, we boast in our suffering because we have confidence and we boast in God. We see that in verse 11. Our hope through trials, is not based upon wishful thinking or a positive mental attitude. But instead, our hope is based upon the love of God that we have experienced through the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. What is our only hope in life and death? That we belong to God. That we are not our own, excuse me, but belong to God. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. Our hope is not based upon our character. Rather, our hope is based upon the character of God. Do you have this confident expectation about your future that gives you the ability right now to endure the difficulties of these days? The one who has faith in Jesus Christ has a firm standing of peace with God. I'm no longer at enmity with Him. I'm at peace with God. Secondly, I stand in God's grace. Therefore, His blessing resides on me. Whether I feel it, see it, or not. I know what is coming. I have a confident expectation about the future. And finally, I can face today and tomorrow because I know what happens at the end. Do you have this hope? The hope is found Not in us, not in our church, but in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we need You. I pray for each one of us that are part of this right now that we would respond in accordance with our need to respond to You. Do Your work, we pray in Jesus' name.